0: You're a liar, a thief whose lies bend reality, making every job go perfectly, but someone's telling bigger lies, world-ending lies, and you've got to stop them. The driver, the hacker, the mastermind, the brute. A heist is only good as the crew, but what if your crew can bend reality? When you play Stealing Stories from the Devil, you pull off the perfect heist every time, The PCs are competent and cool at every stage of the adventure, and they always have a trick up their sleeves. But then again, so does the devil. Stealing Stories from the Devil is a fast-paced tabletop role-playing game in which you save existence as we know it by bending reality to carry out the perfect heist every time. Find out more at www.mymcg.info slash the storage papers. Rusty Quill presents... The Storage Papers. This podcast frequently contains topics and graphic depictions that may be considered sensitive for some listeners. Discretion is advised. look into the papers, the more I've become aware of my surroundings. It doesn't matter whether you live downtown in a loft overlooking the city, or if you're in the suburbs where kids are outside chasing each other around until the streetlights come on, or whether you're in a quiet, rural area where you may not run into your neighbors without intention for months. Maybe it's this city. I don't know. Maybe it's everywhere, and I'm just now becoming aware of it. I'm starting to actually be able to discern whether or not other people have seen things as well. It's difficult to describe with words, but they put off a sort of energy, or aura, if you will. Not necessarily a visible one, but there's almost a distinct level of tension and a loss of innocence you can pick up on just by proximity. I felt it for a long time, but I didn't know exactly what was causing it or what the feeling related to, until recently. I've noticed the papers, as I read more and more of them, put off that same energy. It's almost like I can decipher which ones are total lies and bullshit from those that are documented in truth. Here comes the interesting part. The part where I can't seem to wrap my head around it. If this palpable sensation can be tied to people's experiences, is it the physical body that leaves these traces, Or is it something more spiritual or supernatural? I selected today's document because I had it in my hands when the thought occurred to me. Perhaps if this is truly something supernatural, not bound by the laws of physics in our dimension of being, can simply sharing a story with this kind of energy make others sense this feeling, this emotion, this distortion? And if so... Does this mean that we're granting it more energy or power just by recalling these events? Or perhaps there's another option. Obviously, not everyone believes in these kinds of things. But the more we read about them, the more people know about them, and the more charged they become. What if we simply think about them enough that they begin to exist? There's many instances in religious texts that refer to the power of having thoughts, of speaking things, and of the relinquishing of one's will based on the mind and motives. This begs the question, would all of these paranormal things even exist if we stopped thinking about them? I can tell you from firsthand experience. Once you experience some things, there's no forgetting them. But who originally thought of these things? I suppose it's the classic chicken-and-the-egg argument. For now, I suppose I'll keep sharing them with you. But I'm curious to see if anyone else listening gets this impression as I read the statement I'm about to. The following is a dictation from a voice recorder that Ron used to interview the witness. It appears that the witness hired Ron for his PI services because there's an invoice in Ron's handwriting paperclip to the transcription witness statement of deandre williams saturday april 18th 2009 i can't go to the cops they just won't believe me i told my father everything about what i saw and he did some research to find you said you look into these kinds of things i'll start from the beginning I drove down here from L.A. because my little sister invited me to a spring break party one of her dorm mates was throwing at the conch. We call it the conch because its full name is the Conquistador Dormitory. Anyways, I hadn't heard of anything going on at UCLA since I moved off campus. It wasn't even really my type of scene anymore, but I figured I'd make sure to go and hang out with my little sis. Make sure she didn't overdo the partying so much. I've always been a little protective of her... I remember seeing her at her first high school party when she was a freshman. I was a senior then. I remember thinking I was going to have my hands full because even the guys in my grade were checking her out. Anyways, it took me about three hours to drive down from L.A., and when I got here, it seemed pretty casual. The party hadn't started yet. On my way to Kiana's dorm room on the third floor, I passed a few open doors and right as I was about to knock on hers, which was closed, I heard her call my name from a few doors down. She must have seen me pass by. The smell of stale beer, microwavable pizza, and weed overwhelmed my senses as I greeted her with a hug. I had once built a tolerance to that kind of atmosphere, but I was surprised at how put off I felt now that I was encapsulated by it again. She introduced me to her white roommate, Jennifer, She was really pretty, I remember thinking. Normally I'm not attracted to skinny white girls, but something about her, maybe the way she looked me up and down and smiled, made me think she might actually be a prospect. I hadn't come down here to try to hook up, but I wasn't going to turn down an opportunity if it presented itself, if you know what I mean. We made the rounds while she introduced me to her floor mates and her RA, who shouldn't have been allowing all this drinking and smoking to occur but I got the sense that she was the type of person who probably started the whole thing. Meanwhile, I kept making eye contact across hallways with Jennifer. Each time we did, that smile just made me motivated. I was definitely going to get back around to her a little later. Since I was planning on sleeping on the floor in their dorm, I knew it was inevitable, and I tried to have a good time. Apparently, my UCLA sweatshirt was pretty popular. I spent some time playing beer pong with Kiana and some of her friends, occasionally glancing around for Jennifer, but I hadn't seen her for a while. I was nearing disappointment, and I had to keep reminding myself that wasn't the purpose of me being there. So instead, I showed everyone a couple rule variations that us Bruins played beer pong with, and I couldn't believe it, but I kept losing, even with my own college's rules. As the night wore on, I became a bit more buzzed, and people started calming down. Half the people on her floor took off and went to other parties. A few of them tried to convince us to go down to TJ, but it was already after one in the morning. I used the excuse that I was too tired from the drive, but in reality, I wanted to see if Jennifer was going to be around. Kiana asked if I wanted to turn in or hang out a little longer, and I was good for a little while more. We were actually in the dorm adjacent to her. I mostly listened to her friends complain about a couple of their instructors and about the quality of the dirt weed that they were smoking from a three-foot bong. I was honestly getting a bit bored which caused the tiredness to really set in. I found myself zoning out a bit and had been facing the doorway which was still open and then I saw someone I hadn't previously seen that night. She was walking by the doorway in the direction of Kiana's room. She looked like she may have been in her late 20s and that she didn't belong there. Most of the girls here were right out of high school, first-year freshmen, but this... this was a woman. She was about 5'8", tan, and if I had to guess, she may have been a mix of Middle Eastern and Asian, or possibly Native American. Exotic to say the least. Her hair was down to her waist, and it was all wavy, like she could have easily been in a shampoo commercial. Jet black hair with a few inches of the end dyed silver, leading into a purple hue. She was beautiful. The way she moved seemed different as well. I mean, she was taking steps, but it was almost as if she glided in slow motion. Right before she passed out of view from the doorframe, she turned to look at me, and I got dizzy. She had bright green eyes. Most of the girls here were wearing blue jeans or sweatpants. She wore tight black leather pants and a green top that left little to the imagination. I just had to get up and look for her. I walked up and down the hallway looking in all the open doorways, but I couldn't find her. I got a little frustrated and gave up. It was then that I remembered I had left my phone in the duffel bag in Kiana's room. Out of all my belongings in that bag, I didn't want my phone to get misplaced, so I walked in on my way back to find the two women who had captivated my thoughts all night. The older woman, with the hair and the eyes, was standing in front of Jennifer with her hand under her jaw. They looked like they were about to kiss, and then Jennifer noticed me and took a step back from the woman. I said, "'Sorry, the door was open, and I just want to get my phone.' Neither of them said anything, so I pulled my phone out of the bag and began walking toward the doorway, feeling like I was intruding. But before I could make it there fully, the door gently closed. I turned around to look at them to see if they just witnessed what I had. I mean, the door freaking closed by itself. They didn't seem phased by it and were standing near one another again. I said, hello, did you guys not see that? They both looked at me, And then while Jennifer was still staring at me, the woman leaned in and whispered something in her ear. At that, both of them turned to look at me and smiled seductively before starting to kiss each other. I wasn't sure what the fuck was happening, but I certainly wasn't going to excuse myself now. After a few awkward seconds, they looked at me again, and the woman said, DeAndre, is it? I hadn't told her my name. Why don't you sit down and I'll make you a very special drink? She walked over to a rolling luggage bag at the foot of Jennifer's bed, and I turned to glance at Jennifer. While the woman's back was turned, the seduction had all but left Jennifer's eyes, and instead, she stood before me tense, with eyes full of terror. I mouthed to her, What's wrong? And to my surprise, I felt a tongue licking my earlobe, and then the woman said, Nothing's wrong, DeAndre. In fact, everything is just right. She was clear across the room a moment ago. I didn't know how it would have been possible for her to grab the three bottles in her arms and walk over to me without me hearing a sound. In the moment, though, rational thought had left my mind. I was only filled with desire for this woman. She nibbled my earlobe just a bit, and when I turned to face her... She was on the other side of the room. Was she there still or again? I was confused but entranced. When I looked back at Jennifer, she had reacquired that sultry facial expression. Sit, the woman demanded. She was being both frightening and erotic. I just couldn't help myself, thinking of things that would make anyone blush. Jennifer sat next to me. Both of us on chairs at the other end of the room. The woman was making a concoction for us to drink. She turned around with two double shot glasses in her hands. There was a white smoke being emitted from the liquid within, tipped with a green fog. What's that? I asked her. She calmly handed one to Jennifer, who began sipping on it, and then she turned to me. Still standing? She grabbed underneath my jaw, similarly to how I saw her touching Jennifer when I first walked in. I couldn't be sure, but it felt like one of her fingernails grew in length while she firmly held me and pierced the skin on my neck. She was pulling hard, nearly lifting me by my neck. She said, Drink. No discussion. I took a glass in my hand and looked over at Jennifer, who had finished her drink. She was slumped down in her chair, looking as if she was about to pass out. The woman straddled me in my chair and gently grabbed my hand holding the drink. She kissed me for quite a long time, and I was in ecstasy. When our mouths separated, I instantly felt the cold rim of the glass touch my lips, and I breathed in the fog that was being emitted from it before she tipped the glass up and I swallowed. I made eye contact with her just as I drank, And her state of arousal grew as she began rocking back and forth on my lap, her head tilted up toward the ceiling. And just for a moment, when she looked back down at me, her face changed. It looked like a hologram that, when turned, flashes to a different image and then back to the original. I shook my head, thinking I must have been hallucinating. Then my vision became blurry and I recalled watching the woman strip naked in front of me, and then disappear out of my periphery in the direction that Jennifer was sitting. I could feel Jennifer moving, rubbing up against me, along with the woman, but I had some serious tunnel vision, and I wasn't able to see them right next to me. I also recall not being able to move my eyes in that direction. The longer I sat there, the more my vision faded to black, and I could feel myself slouching down in the chair, helpless against gravity that seemed ten times what it normally did. I don't know how much time passed, but I remember being awoken at some point to a tickling sensation on my forehead. With my eyes closed, I managed to bring my forearm up to my forehead to wipe it. It was wet. I tried opening my eyes, but everything was blurry. The tickling sensation continued on my forehead it felt like someone was using a water dropper on it. In my mind, I thought one of Kiana's punk friends was dripping beer on me while I slept or something. But then I remembered what had happened just before I closed my eyes. I was lethargic, and it proved difficult to move, but my vision was slowly becoming less blurry. I wiped my forehead with both hands this time, and when I examined my hands, they were coated in a crimson liquid, warmer than the room temperature. I smelled my fingers. It was blood. At that moment, I had realized that not only was there blood on my hands, I could taste the copper flavor in my mouth as well. I tried to sit up, but I couldn't just yet, so I began to wipe my eyes, which apparently had small pools of blood collecting in them. I began to panic, wondering if it was my own blood, or if it was Jennifer's or Kiana's. I frantically worked to shift my head and wipe away the blood from my eyes in order to observe my surroundings. And then I saw them. From my back, sprawled out on the floor, I looked straight up, and suspended directly above me on the ceiling, I first saw Jennifer's face. She had that frightened look in her eyes again. With her back pinned against the ceiling and her hair dangling down toward me, blood staining the ends and dripping onto me, she looked completely conscious, with her body jiggling as what was attached to her moved. Holding her in place was the woman with the long hair, only she wasn't a woman anymore. I don't know what she, it, was. From my view, I could tell it was naked. Both hands and both knees had claw-like appendages that anchored her to the ceiling. Its head was buried in Jennifer's neck, and its bald, gray-looking skin was soaked in Jennifer's blood. Jennifer mouthed the words, Help me, and began crying as her arms and legs dangled. I began looking around the room for something I could throw, or at least something that would reach the ceiling I could use to help get Jennifer free. Jennifer mouthed the words again, Help me, this time with a faint wheeze, barely making audible speech as she began crying. Her tears fell and touched my face, diluting the blood that she had already spilled. It must have been the noise that got its attention. stopped and turned its head towards me to reveal the most hideous-looking creature I had ever seen. The once-green eyes now turned a fiery red, and there were only two vertical slits for a nose. Its entire face was glistening in Jennifer's blood, and its sucker-shaped mouth was lined with small rows of teeth that didn't resemble anything human at all. Its eyes met mine, and I still couldn't move. I saw that holographic image shift again, only this time in reverse. For a split second, I could see the beautiful woman's face again, with her erotic glance, before it quickly changed back into this emotionless abomination. The creature tensed up as it looked into my eyes, and I laid there helpless and paralyzed except for my arms. I began using my arms to try to sit up or roll myself over. It sat and watched, as if anticipating its next move. I was finally able to sit up ever so slightly, and as I did, I watched as a long tongue came out of its mouth. It must have been 9 or 10 inches long, and it wiped Jennifer's neck clean one last time before releasing her from its grip. Jennifer slammed against the floor, knocked unconscious. Thankfully, when I sat up, I had moved just enough to avoid her falling directly on me, or I may have been hurt as well. I wanted to get to Jennifer, but I couldn't move quickly. My eyes watched as it gave me one last glance, and then it scurried along the ceiling toward the window, and then down the wall a bit before it broke the window and exited the room. It crawled out and up toward the roof, turning around to duck its head one last time into the window to make sure we weren't giving chase. Then it disappeared into the early morning darkness. The longer I sat there, the more I was able to regain my sense of motor control, and Jennifer finally woke up again. She was able to turn her head toward me, and I could see the wound on her neck. It was a circular wound, about the size of a drink coaster, with what looked like dozens of puncture marks that were no longer bleeding. It was almost as if the creature's tongue caused the wound to clot when it licked her that last time. I thought for sure she was done for, that she bled out while laying next to me. I asked her if she was okay, and she tried to move. She had broken several ribs, her left shoulder, and her left knee from the fall from the ceiling, though she didn't know all of that at the time. Kiana arrived shortly after the sun rose. Apparently, she was with another friend and had a little too much to drink, and passed out. We were still not able to move independently when she got there, but she called for help. Jennifer and I were only separated by a curtain in the emergency room, which we slid back so we could see one another after the doctor's initial examination. I could hear everything about her medical history as she told the doctor's, and she could hear mine. I didn't know it until the doctor told me, but I had a similar circular wound on my neck too. I'd been so caught up in watching Jennifer's experience, I was unaware I must have gone through something similar. I'm not sure if I was on the ceiling or not, but... I counted myself lucky. At least I didn't have to be awake through all that. Of course, the police came to the ER to see what happened. Apparently, the RA was notified by Kiana that something went down and had seen the carpet in the dorm room soaked in blood. Kiana said it looked like a murder scene. Jennifer lied about what happened, saying they were playing a stupid drinking game and was too drunk to remember what went wrong. She glared at me after she said that indicating to me that she wanted me to make up something as well. I agreed, and told the police nothing, saying that I didn't remember anything until I woke up covered in blood. The only part I was truthful about was the fact that there was a woman there that I hadn't recognized, and neither did Jennifer. Kiana was questioned in the waiting room before being allowed to come see us, and she hadn't known anyone fitting the attractive version of the person or thing that was in that room with us. I just wanted answers. Having seen my share of scary movies, it didn't look exactly like a vampire or any animal or cryptid I'd ever heard about. It looked almost parasitic. Like the face of a tapeworm or something that could feed off of a symbiotic host. I just want to make sure I don't turn into one. I could really use your help. Ron has some additional notes here. They read, DeAndre's account doesn't sound familiar to anything else I've encountered. It does resemble a dream I've heard about before, though. Many years ago, back in my tour in Vietnam, and the whole Agent Orange thing. Some of the guys would tell me about these hallucinations they had. Visions of things I'd long since dismissed. I admit some resembled vampires, some of parasitic beings, and some were unique in and of their own but nothing exactly the same as this. I'm afraid for now, I'm going to have to document this among the others that, unfortunately, I have no explanation for. Doing my own due diligence, I cross-reference DeAndre Wilson's name and Jennifer Montrose's in the database I'm building. Strangely enough, I do have medical records from this ER visit from Brienne's computer on both of them. Apparently, their lab results had some peculiar findings. Aside from both of them having the ER doctor's notes about the measurements and size of the wounds on their necks, samples taken from the wounds indicated an excess amount of fibrinogen, a blood clotting agent, on the surface of the skin and even deep within the tissue. In addition, their lab results detected small amounts of curari. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I had to look this up. Apparently, this is a plant extract, not indigenous to North America, but it comes from Central and South America instead. Even more interesting, it can only become active in the human body after it is injected directly into the bloodstream, and it's harmless if taken orally. There is just a subtle amount of dosage difference that would render a person paralyzed compared to slightly smaller increases in doses that would kill a person, mainly by paralyzing the diaphragm, preventing a person from breathing. This is why, according to what I found online, it's possible to eat prey that have been infected with the toxin. It still doesn't explain what initially put DeAndre and Jennifer into a sleeping state before acquiring the wounds, but it might explain why they remain paralyzed so long, and why it didn't affect the creature that put them through all of this. I'll make sure to look for other documents going forward that might share some significance Thank you for listening to The Storage Papers, a Grinner Media production. This season, we've teamed up with Rusty Quill to bring The Storage Papers to a wider audience. We're happy to be associated with the people that brought you Rusty Quill Gaming, The Magnus Archives, and Stellar Firma. They've got a bunch of new and exciting things going on over there, so please check them out over at RustyQuill.com. And once again, thank you for listening to The Storage Papers.